Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, 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 happy Friday and happy happy hour day. I'm so excited about this show today. I hope that whatever you're doing in the middle of April, that you can find a little bit of joy today, maybe through this episode or another podcast that you love, or maybe even just if you live in Texas, you're going to find some blue bonnets and look at them and see the beauty of God's creation. I know at the Ivy household, we've been battling sickness for about two weeks here. And so I am happy to be on the other side for the most part of sickness and still nursing the rest of my family to the other side. But we're just trying to find joy in the everyday things as well. And so I hope that you too are finding some joy no matter what your life looks like today. Friends, today's episode is a good one. My friend Kat Harris comes back to the show. In fact, Kat was here a while ago on episode 177, and here we are, episode number 382. We start out with Kat telling us what has happened since the last time she was on the show. And let me tell you, a lot has happened since she was here three years ago. In fact, next week on Tuesday, her very first book, Sexless in the City, will be released. I had the great opportunity to read it earlier in the year, and I recommend it to all of you as well. Today, I want to give you a little heads up if you're a mama or listening and you have some little ears in the car. There's nothing inappropriate or vulgar by any means on the show today, but we do talk about sex a lot. And so I just want to give you a heads up. If you want to listen first before you let your kids listen, then I would highly recommend that for you as well. Today, Kat and I talk about how she went through a journey of figuring out what she believes about God and faith and sex. And that journey that she went on is what she writes about in her book and what we talk about today. We talk about how she idolized virginity for so long and the message that she internalized around purity. It elevated it over godliness and seeking. Christ. It's a really great conversation. We talk about broadening her definition of sex and how it changed her boundaries. Kat has a unique way of talking about this conversation, seeing that she is a woman in her mid-30s who has grappled with what it means to follow Jesus and be a pure woman. We talk about what it looks like to remove the shame around conversations around sex. And I hope today as you listen that you don't feel uncomfortable. I hope that you can enter into these conversations knowing that there is no shame and that God has set up ways for us to talk about sex because he created it. We also talk about changing the narrative purity culture and equalizing men and women's roles and responsibility in it. You're going to really enjoy this conversation today. If you are looking for any of the links of what we talked about, don't forget we always put that over on our webpage. All right, guys. Sit back and relax and listen to my conversation with Kat Harris. Kat Harris, welcome back to the happy hour. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you and just be like... I could reach out and touch we you. We could reach out and touch because we're here together <laughs> in Austin, here. Texas. Oh my gosh, clear eyes, full hearts. All the way. All the way. Can't lose. Uh, you're a Texas girl from heart, though, so this is not, like, new for you. You grew up in, in Dallas, right? Yeah, I grew up in Dallas, and then high school in Dallas, college in Dallas, and then I fled the coop, or however you want to say it. So I've been gone for almost 15 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I should have worn my cowboy boots. I have been—I have worn them a couple times. 
being in New York for 10 years, I got hazed. Like I literally for having cowboy boots. Yeah. Like I wore my Lou Casey's out once and I think I got hazed, but now I think they're kind of in maybe. Yeah. You could do it, especially here. Oh yeah. I mean, they never go out of town no. here, or out of town. <laughs> you stay in town. They never go out of style. Go out of style. That's so fun. Yeah. Well, welcome back. And you have had a lot happened in your life yeah. since you were here last. Yeah. So last time you were on was January of 2018, mm-hmm. which when I told you that before <laughs> we started recording, it does feel like that was 18 years ago. It really does. Not yeah. even just in your own personal life, yeah. but just in the world. Doesn't mm-hmm. it feel like that was forever ago? Yes. It feel even... I was talking with a friend and I was like, yeah, I met your mutual friend. And I said, it honestly could have been seven years ago or like March before the pandemic. I have no concept of time anymore. It's all running together. Yeah. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Well, when you were on last time, we had such a great conversation. Mm -hmm. And I know I've heard you say that afterwards, you had so many happy hour listeners want to connect with you. So give us a little playback as to why they wanted to connect with you. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't listened, it's episode number 177. So when you're done here, Mm -hmm. or you can pause, go listen Mm -hmm. and come back. But what happened after you came on the show that so many people (laughs) wanted to connect with you? Oh my gosh. First of all, I had no idea what I was in for being on your podcast. (laughs) I was like, yeah, sure. I'll have a conversation with Jamie Ivey. She seems really cool. We had never met. Never met. I think Cheryl Scrubs. Mutual friends. Yep. Mm -hmm. She connected us. And so at the time I was doing photography, still I'm doing photography. I had the refined woman, but it wasn't like I wasn't sure of where I was going with it, but I was in a lot a transition. My business partner had recently left and I really wanted to be equipping women with something, but I didn't know like what my secret sauce was or uh-huh. whatever it yeah. was. And so you and I were talking and it was mainly, I think it was mainly about being a Christian in the fashion industry. And I'd been in New York for years at that point and been shooting editorial for a long time. And you kind of asked me like a side question about, oh, you're single and dating and what's that like? And I kind of shared with you in TED Talk, very short format, that when I moved to New York, so much changed for me. And I'd grown up in Texas, grew up in purity culture. I'm waiting until marriage to have sex. And then New York happens. I date more in a year than I did in a decade. Uh I danced on tables. I got heartbroken. I fell in love. And really, I... And a heartbreak went on a journey of really figuring out what do I believe about God and sex and dating and does the Bible really say not to have sex before marriage? So I kind of shared that a little bit of that story with you. And then the week after <laughs> this episode went live, I'm like, God, what do you want? What direction do you want me to go in? I get 3,000 emails. Oh my gosh. From women all over the world asking me questions like, is masturbation a sin? <laughs> Which you have a whole podcast about it. I, I listened to it. Series. Yeah, I know. A whole chapter uh-huh. of my book about it. You do. It. Um, but it was just kind of, it honestly felt out of nowhere. Women were coming to me asking me questions about dating, singleness, relationships, sexuality, sexual desire. And honestly, I resisted it. I was like, why are you asking me this? Because you didn't feel equipped or because you didn't want that to be your lane? I think both. Yeah. I think I knew if I kind of came out, quote Uh unquote, as a Christian, because up until that point, my business wasn't, quote unquote, Christian. It was very lifestyle, and I liked it that way. So I felt if I come out as a Christian single who's not having sex until marriage, it's going to be my shtick. (laughs) And I didn't want to pigeonhole myself. I also didn't want to ostracize the part of my community that 
didn't have a faith conversation and who that wasn't their worldview. And I always felt very passionate about wherever you are in life, whatever you do or do not believe, you're welcome at my table. So I feel like there was that, like I didn't want to be the poster girl for singleness. And I was like, I'm an editorial photographer. Yeah. I do brand strategy for fashion houses and I don't want to pivot my career. Right. And I resisted it for probably three or four months. After I get all those thousands of emails out of the blue, a couple publishers reach out to me to write a book about it. I was like, no, (laughs) no, I'm not your girl. Wow. I was like, I do not want to do this. Uh And then I remember it was before. But can I ask you a question real quick? Because you said that you had to go on this journey Mm -hmm. of figuring out what does God say about sex and all the things. But you'd already been down that journey. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like Five years, yeah. so it wasn't solo. It was five years not in the public eye. Right. That's okay. Of me asking those questions, researching scripture. And just for yourself, for just your own for well-being. Yep. I was like, this isn't for the world. This is me, Kat Harris. I need to figure out what I believe outside of what I've been taught. Yeah. And so months down the road, I just was sitting in my bed, and I just felt so much resistance in my life. And I was like, God, what is going on? Like, what do you want me to do? And it didn't feel like a right or a wrong. It felt like an invitation Mm -hmm. that God had for me to lean into this part of my story. And I just felt so insecure underneath all of it, like who gave me the right. And I just felt like God was like, you're the girl for the story right now. Mm. Like you're not the girl for the job always, but there's an invitation for you. And clearly there are women all over the world who are terrified of their sexual desire, who have no real vision for sex outside of a set of rules given to them growing up. And so I said yes, and more has changed since Mm -hmm. then, but I think a lot opened up for me after that. I think it's interesting that what you had to deal with, I think we all have to do on different levels, Mm -hmm. of you having to realize a yes right now is not for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of times people have to think through that with like careers or opportunities or whatever that might be. We get in this mindset of like, okay, if I say yes to this, I'm going to be this forever. Mm -hmm. I have felt that before. It's like, I don't want to be the spokesperson for adoption and I don't want to be the spokesperson about marriage. Like, you know, we all have to deal with that. And so I love how you went from a place of no to, okay, I'm going to trust you, God, right now Mm. in this season. Yeah. And it's been a good ride for you, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's been really, really interesting and unexpected. And I think one of the most important parts was that I went on the journey privately before it was public. Yeah, yeah. And and even now, you know, my book is coming out in a couple of weeks. And there's, I feel like I'm at another precipice in my life where I'm going on another journey of figuring out, okay, God, what do I believe about X, Y, Z? And I think it, this is an important reminder for me in this moment to remember I share from a scar, not a scab, Mm. you know, and I want to, before I kind of go and hang out with a bunch of strangers on the internet, I get to seek God for myself first, invite trusted and safe community into it. And then if the time is ready, not everything needs to be a teaching point for the world. Like, and so I, even I feel like if no one ever read this book, like this was my life Mm. and I needed to go through this and And so, yeah, I think even writing the book, I didn't even realize there were things that I still needed to go through. I didn't realize until I was writing a chapter on sex that so much of me still worshipped and idolized virginity. Mm. And so there was just constantly stuff coming up in my own heart of, oh, my gosh, even if no one else hears any of this, I need to work this stuff out. Okay, so your book, Sexless in the City, it comes out next week, actually, Mm -hmm. on uh, uh, 420. But I want to ask you, you mentioned earlier about how 
you felt that bringing your faith to a public eye, mm-hmm. you know, that you really had to weigh that option of this is not the world I live in. You are doing photography mm-hmm. and not like at church photography, like yeah. big stuff. How has that been for you over the past couple of years? Because you did bring your faith essentially out publicly yeah. like that. And even your stance on God's design for sex. Mm-hmm. How has that affected your Work life, personal life, fun life. Yeah. Well, I mean, for my photography business, nothing has changed. It's a completely separate business. And even as a photographer, when I started my business, I was like, I don't want to be known as the quote unquote Christian photographer. Because I think a lot of people slap the label of Christianity on their business or on themselves. And then that can sometimes be an excuse to not be excellent. Mm. And so I wanted to get hired. That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole yeah, other podcast. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be hired because I was really, really good at my craft. Yeah. And because I had integrity. And because I was really good at working the camera and working with my clients. And so really nothing about the photography business changed with the refined woman. I think my biggest fear in kind of coming out, quote unquote, was rejection. Mm. And even rejection and sharing with the public that, yeah, I actually am not having sex until marriage. But I think because I'd already lived it in real time with mm-hmm. my real friends, most of my friends aren't Christians. Most of my friends don't share my view of God or sex. And I first got to start practicing with my friends. Right. And I remember being at parties in my late 20s, being terrified when everyone's sharing their sex capades. Uh-huh. And then it gets to me and I'm like, I remember literally being at a party and someone going, if you're not having casual sex, like, are you even human? And I was like, well, actually, I don't have sex. And it was like, ricka, ricka, <laughs> like a stop. And so I got to experience in my own relationships, wow, okay, almost the pain of being exposed. But Jamie, I kid you not, nine times out of 10, the response I got from people who didn't share my faith or worldview were like, I respect that so much. And and almost all of them said, I wish I would have waited longer than I waited. And so I think I thought I was going to experience all this rejection and ostracize Mm -hmm. people in my life. And that was the furthest thing that happened. And so I think that was really helpful because I realized, wow, I wasn't sharing my truth or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it because I was afraid. Yeah. And really, I've been met with so much encouragement and friendship. And then for the Christian girl who's like, man, I live in Texas and I'm 21 and I feel like a grandma because I didn't get married yet. Right. I feel like I've kind of become an older sister. That's like, yeah, great. I still want to be married too. And I'm connected to my sexual desire. I like love physical intimacy. And this isn't just theory. Like, I'm not a pastor that's talking from the space of getting married at 20. Yeah. I'm 35 and I'm still walking it. I'm yeah. still journeying through it. So I think that's has created a bigger community than I ever expected. Um, yeah. Well, and I think too, Kat, like I'm so glad you said that because it's one thing for me mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, sexuality and God's design for, you know, that intimacy that he designed between a husband and a wife. I've been here for 20 years. You know, I've been having sex for 20 years. But when someone hears it from you that's going, I'm walking this road. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe this. Like, as hard as it is, I believe it. That's why I keep thinking about when God was like, for right now, mm. this is what I want you to do for right now. And I'm just, I mean, publicly thankful oh. for your voice and, oh, you know, you. for your faithfulness to it. You said earlier 
that you had to learn a lot as you were writing this book. Mm-hmm. And I've already read the book. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. In fact, I read the book on a beach in Tulum. Yes, you Isn't did. that fun? Oh my gosh, I love Thank uh, you so much for reading it, by the way. I'm You're a busy woman. And that well, I love reading. And I can say this too, like I don't ever endorse a book unless I've read every word. Mm-hmm. And I just committed to that years ago. And mm-hmm. so I read every single word of your book. And so you. great job. Loved it so much. And I loved reading it on the beach, knowing that you also love that beach that I was Mm -hmm. at. But you said as you were writing it, and again, you've worked through so much of this over the years, but you said you had to even learn new things. Yeah. And one of them you mentioned was this idolization of virginity. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? What do I not mean by that? (laughs) Well, I think somewhere along the way in Christian and evangelical culture, I don't know that it was ever explicitly said out loud, but the message I internalized was that something about my salvation was dependent on what I did or didn't do between my legs. It was like salvation wasn't really Jesus alone. It was Jesus plus, are you drinking alcohol? Jesus plus, are you having sex? And I mean, I in college stopped being friends with a girl and literally doubted her salvation because she started sleeping with her boyfriend. And so for a long time, I was on a a very high horse. But I think it's because I listened to and absorbed messages about quote-unquote purity, that elevated purity almost above godliness or seeking God. Faithfulness. or Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, well, it just became the barometer and litmus test. And I think the more that I went on my own journey, the more I discovered, okay, first, yeah, Scripture does have a precedence for sex. However, the thief on the cross next to Jesus, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in Mm -hmm. paradise. Not, okay, but have you been having sex? What have you been doing? No, it was Jesus alone. And so it breaks my heart that Christianity and salvation has become enmeshed Mm. with whether or not we're having sex. And that part, I didn't realize still how attached I was to that, even though I so resented the narratives until I was doing this chapter about sex. And to this point, I have not had penetrative sex. So I was, you know, talking about, you know, our salvation isn't dependent on our virginity. And then the question popped into my head, well, what is sex? What is sex? And I had never really thought about where I got my definition from sex. And I don't know what words I'm allowed to say. You say anything. Okay, great. So I always thought, okay, sex is penis and vagina. As long as I don't do that then I am withholding sex until marriage. And as a 30-plus-year-old woman, I feel like I deserve an award for that. (laughs) I feel like God gave me this question of what is sex. And so I thought, okay, so is penis and vagina only sex? What about oral sex? What about anal sex? What if your partner or spouse is impotent? Can you not have a robust sex life? What if as a woman you're one of the 75% of women who can't climax internally? Do you not have good sex? What if you don't identify as heterosexual? Do heterosexuals have a monopoly on virginity? And so I'm going through all these questions and processing all of this stuff. And in it, I realized if I change my definition Mm. of sex, then I'm not a virgin. virgin. And I did not realize how much I was still attached to that. Mm. And so I'm doing this chapter. I thought I allotted two days for it. And then two weeks later, I was like, whoa. I have some stuff to work through here. I still, there's something still in me that 
wants to do it the right way mm-hmm. and is ashamed if I've done it differently. Because yeah, I had penis and vagina, but I had done everything else. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, I feel like that was a huge part of the process for me realizing, wow, so do I want to change my definition? And I ultimately did. I do think sex is more of a pool of experiences as opposed to one mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And a huge reason why, there's two reasons. One is my best friend got back from her honeymoon and her and her husband sat me down and this was years ago. And they said, we just realized it's all sex, all sex. And they waited until their wedding night and they're like, it was amazing. And they told me that and I was like, well, I don't want to listen to that because that ruins me. me. What are you telling me to do? And then one of my best guy friends um, is gay and he got home from a date and he said he had sex. And I said, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, we just like kissed and stuff. We just kissed and touched each other. And I go, that's what sex is to you? Right. And he was like, yeah. And so I was like, wow, this is very interesting. I have from a very liberal Mm -hmm. side of the street and a very conservative side of the street, both people are telling me the same thing. I wonder if sex could be more than just what I initially thought it was. So what does that change about you calling yourself a virgin? I don't really identify as a virgin anymore. Because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I've done other things. And yes, I've still not had penetrative sex. But I do think that sex is more than that. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's important to empower listener, whoever is listening, and ourselves to really think about God. First of all, if we're choosing abstinence, what are we actually choosing to abstain from? Mm -hmm. And God, you have a vision for that. And what then are those boundaries? Mm -hmm. And I think honestly felt encouraging to me, Jamie, that the Bible didn't say no penis and vagina. Yeah. Because it says flee from sexual immorality. And that means a whole slew of So did that change your boundaries? It did. And then where did you land? Because I know you talk about this oh in the book. Oh, my goodness. Where did you land on it? Oh, I feel like this is like the big Okay, I'll tell you. God joke. In this chapter, I was like, I was nervous. I was, I, was like, like, where, I really was like, where's she going with this? Yeah. Because I was like, she's going to tell me that all of this is okay. Yeah. Where did you, and it's not for you to tell me, but yeah. where did your boundaries land? So I actually feel like the big, huge joke that God had on me is, well, so preface is, Almost 10 years ago when I started this journey, I went on this journey to prove why I was, why biblically I was okay having casual sex. Mm. But you never had had casual I sex. I had never, but, but I was you on were the going to. this breakup and I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and it seems at the time, none of my Christian friends were saving sex and my non-Christian friends. I was like, I'm What's the, the big deal? I'm why am I? Yeah. Virgin in all the land. <laughs> yeah. So I ended that journey way more conservative. So for me, it's... I don't need you to tell me your boundaries unless you want to. But I'm just saying what that did for you was say, oh, maybe there's more than just not having penis vagina sex. Yeah. Is that, am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think once I, I really paused to do the work of, wow, what is sex? What I believe about sex? And also what is God's vision Mm -hmm. for intimacy? I mean, I saw like the beautiful Song of Solomon relationship between King Solomon and his bride and was like, whoa, this passionate, erotic, Uh mutually pleasurable experience in marriage. Wow. Like that was compelling to me. I was like, why are we not being told these amazing love stories like that? And we're just being told a set of rules. And so, yeah, I scaled back a lot of my boundaries, but it felt different because I feel like for most of my Christian life, I felt like a victim to Christianity. Well, I can't touch his butt because good Christians don't touch each other's Mm -hmm. butts. I can't sleep over because that's a sin. I can't have sex because good Christians don't have sex. And then I'm on this journey and was like, wow, I actually think God has this like really high view of sex. 
And instead of like how like how much can I do, how many mental gymnastics mm-hmm. can I play, which is exhausting, yeah, while still maintaining the value, the line. Virgin. I just felt, no, I want to set myself up for success. So then it was like, no, like sleepovers aren't sinful, but I'm telling you, if I'm sleeping over at someone's house, at some point my pants are coming off. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And so if I don't want sleepovers, then it kind of, I just worked my way backwards a little bit, which part of it was a bummer. I was like, oh no, those things are all really fun. Yeah. And I love them. But now I feel like excited. Mm. I feel like excited that I have this boundary that I actually believe in. Yeah. As opposed to, well, someone else told me this thing in seventh grade that I couldn't do, right. and I don't know why I'm even still doing it. Yeah. So you, it sounds like you went on a journey from legalism Yeah. of this is just, you know, the seven steps to mm-hmm. stay a virgin, to get married. And then you went on this journey, and you came to the other side of it thinking, wow, God has a beautiful design for yeah. intimacy and so, therefore, the boundaries I'm creating is not so I can be a good Christian. Mm-hmm. It's so that I can enjoy the intimacy the way God created it. Am I putting words in your mouth or is that right? That's right. And the few things I would add to that as well is it, it was because it was God's design. One of the things that was so compelling to me was researching scientifically what happens in our bodies when we orgasm and when we experience sexual pleasure, which then proved to me, wow, this is actually a part of God's design because the dopamine and oxytocin, the neurotransmitters and hormones released in pleasure are literally designed to bond us with another human. And I don't really like talking. Is it true that it's the same hormone release when a mom is nursing her baby? Yep. Yep. That mm-hmm. bonding. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Eye contact. Yep. We get it when we hug people. So it's not just in sexual pleasure, but in orgasm, mm-hmm. it is this outpouring, this mega dump of oxytocin and dopamine. And it's literally, I think it's why Christians talk so you about look science. They're like, science yeah. has proved this thing. I uh-huh. think this is why Christians weirdly talk about soul ties, <laughs> which I think soul ties are actually just the neurological pathways yeah. that are created when we bond physically and emotionally and spiritually uh-huh. with another human. Yeah. An actual neural pathway, a new line in your brain is created. And I thought that was. insane when I learned that. I was like, oh, that's why there's an anthropologist that's very well known named Helen Fisher, not a person of faith. And she teaches there's no such thing as casual sex. Mm. I was like, wow, I feel like I'm seeing this thing in scripture, but then I'm looking at science and I'm looking at research. And then I'm even looking at my own experience. And my own experience said, man, I dated way too many guys Mm. that I probably wouldn't have ever went on more than one or two dates with. If we had never gotten physical, mm. the physical because actually, it added to it. Well, it muddied up my discernment of is this person an actual good fit? So you can have sexual chemistry yeah. and have nothing else in common. Uh-huh. And so I saw all these other avenues in addition to scripture where I thought, wow, actually delaying the physical seems like a really good idea. And the the idea in scripture that the physical is never just about the physical, but mm. it's an invitation to the spiritual. God says to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mm. Like the Jesus invitation is this holistic yeah. Vision, yeah. I just felt like, man, do I want to have sex? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, heck yeah, I don't experience orgasms. Yes, but I want to experience this robust version mm. of it. You know, Aaron and I are talking a lot about marriage right now because we just released a marriage mm-hmm. book this year. And one of the things that we find ourselves continually saying over and over in interviews is the fact that we really try to encourage couples, and mm. we did this too when we were dating, to build our relationship on friendship mm-hmm. because 
a relationship built on sexual desire and sexual like attraction mm-hmm. and all the things that we all feel like it's not like we're like oh i don't feel that yeah we feel it we want to have sex we get those feelings when we're around mm-hmm. them but for us 20 years into marriage we also know how life changes mm-hmm. and children and jobs and all the things and that building that relationship on that you know sexual attraction, sexual desire, all the things that can't sustain Mm -hmm. throughout the years. But a friendship can. And I think that's also so beautiful is that God doesn't take away that we're sexual beings. Mm -hmm. He's giving it that for a reason. But yet also we get to have it within this like beautiful boundary filled Mm -hmm. life. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm grateful too for the friendship that Aaron and I built Mm -hmm. because sexual desire and attraction and stuff it's just different and yeah it's new sometimes even after 20 years and then also it's like everything is kind of playing on top of each other and it gets different than yeah in the beginning totally well even they say the number one libido killer is responsibility are you serious yes it's the number, so it's like why am i not desiring to have sex <laughs> well i don't know you have a house full of kids you're trying to keep alive you got those bills, mm-hmm. stuff that we're living in a global pandemic. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think, to keep that spice alive or whatever you want to call it in a marriage relationship is intentional. It's a choice. 100%. And it's, I'm saying like I know it, but from the research I've <laughs> yeah. done, yeah. Um, it's a huge choice. I love what you're saying about friendship because I think it's so easy to make it all about the physical. And I'm 35 and I'm single and I do online dating. And what do you lead with in online dating? Right. The physical. Yeah. And I think the physical is important. Yeah. It is because otherwise, ultimately, you, you just have a roommate mm-hmm. if you're not attracted yeah. to them or a yeah. friend. But all my married friends say that. And so I'm always curious, what do you say is that balance of when you meet someone of, okay, I want that attraction that needs to be there. But how do you kind of decide, is there enough attraction to pursue more? Am I on your podcast? Are you on my podcast? Oh, shoot. Did I just flip the script? No, I love it. I love it. But as a single person, I'm curious to ask my married friends list. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's physical attraction is so important, right? Yeah. But haven't you had times in your life where you've like seen like the hottest guy ever and then you get to know him and you're like, I am not attracted to him anymore. 100%. That's so weird because I was attracted to him and then I talked to him and Mm -hmm. I'm no longer attracted to him. And then you meet someone you're like, yeah, they're cute. And then you hang with them for a while and you're like, they're so attractive. Yeah. Because there is physical attraction, obviously. We're Mm -hmm. humans. But I think we downplay how character traits actually bring up someone's physical attraction. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the same way that like not everyone's attracted to the same type of person. Yeah. But whoever you're attracted to, I may not think they're attractive, but you think they're just the hottest thing ever. It's because A, we have our preferences, but then B, I think character, someone's Mm -hmm. character it really does make us attracted to them. Have you found that? Oh, 100%. I mean, I remember my ex. I thought he was the hottest thing. <laughs> I was like, this guy's on my arm. I just was, I just thought he was the hottest thing ever. Yeah. And it's funny, I'll see pictures of him now and be like, I know that he is attractive. <laughs> but not like, to you. But I feel nothing. And it took a lot of years and a lot of prayers to get there. Yeah. But absolutely, I think the thing that can feel really hard as a single person is, I think because we put so much pressure on dating, mm. I like to say dating is a curb, not a cliff. But even to just release the pressure we put on dating to, okay, yeah, maybe you don't think he's the hottest guy. Maybe you don't think she's the hottest girl. 
But what if you just got to know them mm-hmm. for a little bit and release that pressure it's and so see good. if anything yes. builds? Yes. Because I think that you're right. It's putting too much pressure on just their outward appearance mm-hmm. to sustain a relationship. And that's mm-hmm. impossible, mm-hmm. first of all, because life changes and mm-hmm. our bodies change. Mm-hmm. You know, everything changes. Okay. So when you wrote this book, I want to know the hardest chapter for you to write. Well, besides the what is sex one, um, the Ephesians 5 chapter was a freaking beast. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, that, <laughs> that is that is the chapter, you know, what is it, 522 and uh-huh. 23, where it says, you know, wives submit to your own husbands as Christ submitted to the mm-hmm. Father, and husbands love your wives as Christ, Christ loved the, the church. church, which we forget sometimes, because Aaron and I did some work on this right before we mm-hmm. wrote our book, is that 521, right above that, mm-hmm. says, submit to each other. Yes. Out of reverence for each oh other. Gosh. And so we've been talking about this a lot recently, mm-hmm. too, Aaron and I. So why was that so hard? Yeah. Okay. So for a lot of reasons. One, hearing the word wife submit to your husband as a single person in 2021, it feels triggering at best. And you grew up in the Bible Belt, just like I did. I grew up in the Bible Belt. Purity culture, all the things. And so I think it's been abused. Yeah, it's been abused very much so. And I think at its worst, it creates problematic dynamics where women are shamed into staying in abusive relationships because they're supposed to submit to their husbands. Mm -hmm. I think it at some point can really shirk a woman's autonomy and agency to say, here's what I want in the marriage or here's what I desire. Because I think we're taught if we want to be good Christian women, at least this is my experience growing up in the South, that was, you know, guys don't really like lippy opinionated women. So lock it up, Missy. Mm -hmm. Be quiet. Like be less of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that always didn't sit well with me because I came out of the womb with an opinion. I came out of the womb with things to say and questions to ask. So when I became a Christian, I felt very confused because I would read the Bible and the Bible seemed pretty scandalously for women. But then this archetype of the godly woman seemed nothing like who I was. And so I, what I want, why the Ephesians 5 chapter was hard is because I was like, if this is true, I don't know if I can swallow this pill. Like, if the call is for women just to be quiet and shut their mouths and listen to their husbands and submit to whatever he wants, then I don't know if I can submit to that. But I also didn't want to change the text to make it mean what I wanted it to mean. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that's what made it hard, is I was like, oh, I'll just do a little Bible study. It'll take an (laughs) afternoon and I'll write the chapter. And then two months later, literally two months later, still working on the chapter. But I think in any moment where I've given myself the permission to dig in and press in and ask the hard questions, like God has shown up in such powerful ways. And even I just learned this recently, even how the subtitles of scripture are given in a lot of our translations, they separate the submit to each other part as reverence to Christ, they separate that from that whole passage and they make the passage about wives submitting to their husbands. When if we read that culturally in first century AD when Paul was teaching it, the who would have been wildly offended about that passage would have been the men. That's exactly right. Because the cultural norm was women respect your husbands. Women didn't have rights. They went from the ownership of their father to the ownership of their husbands. Most women were illiterate. They weren't definitely weren't allowed to vote. Mm-hmm. They couldn't hold jobs. Yet 
I think the amazing good news about the gospel of Jesus is women were helping fund the movement of Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. We see the Proverbs 31 woman actually isn't a quiet, mousy woman. It was progressive, business savvy, entrepreneurial, using her voice and wisdom for good in the home and in the community. Mm -hmm. And so when I looked at, wow, okay, so we're supposed to respect each other. That's what the text starts with mutual respect, with mutual honor. But if there's any onus on anyone in this text, it's the man. Mm -hmm. And how it would have been read in first century is for a man to read that, you're telling me to love my wife? You're telling me to not cheat on her? Well, and it says he's the head mm. of the household, which would be the power. I mean, if you look at a head, we can't function without the head. And then Paul says, and you're to lay down your life. Mm-hmm. And that would have been scandalous too, because mm-hmm. they would have assumed that the woman would be the one to lay down her life yeah. for the man. And so the whole thing was scandalous. The whole thing was scandalous. Yeah. And love your wife like you love your own body. So women's bodies, I read this, Aristotle said this, and I was like, oh my gosh, I know nothing about Aristotle, that women's bodies were deformed male figures. And so the female body was despised mm-hmm. in first century culture. And so for the Paul's invitation to be to Christians, for men to love their wives like they loved their own bodies, the male body was elevated. Yeah. I mean, we see, you know, phallical uh-huh. things all over architecture. So once I actually did the deep dive, I was like, actually, this is less about gender roles and more about a radical type of countercultural marital love. That is supposed to ultimately point people to Jesus. And I was like, okay, I can get on board with that. Yeah. But how and why has this message been hijacked? It's to been keep so hijacked. Quiet? It's been so hijacked. When I agree with you on that, it's difficult because that whole, like, I write in our book too, like, when I hear preachers preach on this, I get mm-hmm. anxious because mm-hmm. I don't know where they're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. I get nervous. I'm like, I need to know your end game, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk in our book too about that verse 21 above yeah. that and how submission to my own husband as you know Aaron not submission to all men but submission to my husband it is like how Jesus submitted to the father and that was a mutual love and respect relationship mm-hmm. it wasn't a like I'm in charge you be quiet sit down you know and then even like you said husband love your wife like Christ loved the church that's the ultimate example of mm-hmm. love. And so I remember, I think I read in Tim Keller's book, him and Kathy, which the meaning of marriage, which I know we just released a marriage book, but that is the best marriage that's book that's ever one, been yeah. written. I think that he even talks in there about how actually submitting to your own husband, it sounds drastic and it sounds very difficult, but the harder call would be for a man to love someone the way Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Yeah, It's such a big deal. So they're both a big deal, but this is why I loved your book so much. <laughs> Because you take us on the journey and you show us what you had to do to get there. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So even you talking about how that submission chapter was so difficult and even the what is sex chapter, Mm -hmm. you take us on this road where I'm literally going, I don't know where she's going to land on this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what she's going to say. And then you land in a place where God took you there and Mm -hmm. you had to do so much deep thinking about it. I think that's something that for you and I who both grew up in the South and the Mm -hmm. Bible and purity culture, I didn't think much about purity. I just knew that I shouldn't have sex before I get married. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking earlier about shame, I thought after I had sex at 16, I don't know how I ever be a Christian again. Mm -hmm. I mean, I acted. I went to church, but I literally thought I was like out. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I ever get back in the club? Mm -hmm. Because I did the thing. Yeah. And that's so difficult to grow up in that and then have Mm -hmm. to deal with shame from that as well. And so... Again, I'm grateful for your work for doing that. Yeah. And I even, I, to that point, I had a conversation with a really good friend of mine who 
loves Jesus. And she, like, this is a woman, I know her deep and well, this woman loves God. And guess what? She's not waiting until marriage to have sex. And that felt really challenging to me because mm-hmm. the legalistic part of my heart is like, yeah. but what about all these verses? What about all this? Mm-hmm. You know? And I also believe that my salvation isn't dependent on yeah. whether or not I have sex outside mm-hmm. of marriage. And so it was a really interesting conversation where I was like, wow, I still want her to do the thing. Yeah. I still want her to behave in the way that I think is right. Mm-hmm. And do I trust that if this person's genuinely seeking God, that God will speak to them about you know, that area. About that yeah. area. Yeah. And I think it makes me so sad that we've been given this message. And I think it's a disproportionate message to women. Women are given a purity message in a way that men aren't. And that's where we're not, the church isn't countercultural. Yep. You know, watch Bridgerton. I watched that and I was like, this is good, but it's also really triggering because it feels like being a Christian in the church in 2021. Oh, I haven't seen it. I think that someone told me there's a lot of stuff in it. Oh, yeah. And not because I'm better than you, mm-hmm. but just because I know myself and you I might I, be a little better than me. No, nope, I'm not going to go there. I'm not <laughs> no, better than kidding. you. I just, just know other shows yeah. that have caused me to mm-hmm. sin and I don't want to. Yeah. But I'm watching this show, and the whole thing is based around the marriage market of the 1800s for the upper echelon. So think crazy rich Asian status of wealth, Uh but 1800s London. Got it. And these young girls are 15, 16 years old, and they have their debut to society. And over this few months period of time, their goal, they've been trained their entire lives for this, is to get married off and then produce a male heir. Mm -hmm. But the men are much older And they've been having sexual experiences. The men are not required to be pure in the way that women are. Men are not pressured to be married in the way that women are. You felt like this was your church experience. I was like, (laughs) this feels very triggering. I feel because even now I'm a 35 year old woman. I get asked questions about my singleness that my guy friends, 35 to 45, don't even get. Like what? Why are you still single? Oh. Or do you not want to have kids? Mm-hmm. And underneath that, I think what they're asking, they're trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Mm. And my guy friends who are 35, 37, 40, 41. No one's asking them. No one's asking them that. And also, the moment they want to date someone, guess what? Dating in the church <laughs> is like being on an episode of The Bachelor. Numbers-wise, there's A just lot more, way women. more women than men. And so it feels really disappointing that we still have this message for women that says, you cover your body. Because men are sexual. Well, so am I not sexual? What can men do to honor me mm-hmm. and my journey? Yeah. So it's, I feel like the purity message has been so damaging because it holds a really low view of men. It says, well, boys will be boys and they can't really help themselves. And so because they can't help themselves, let's put the entire weight of sexual purity of an entire gender on the back of women. And then we're going to make them wrong for existing. <laughs> so we have a low view of men because I think men aren't animals. Men are made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And then we've oppressed women through that message. And so it's a lose-lose situation. On both sides. Yeah. How do we solve this problem, Kat? I think we start by getting to the heart. We say, okay, Genesis 1 says God made humans, man and woman, in God's image and God's likeness. Period. The end. So because of that, men and women have equal value, worth, dignity, enoughness. And it also means that I... As a human, and he as a human, I get to take responsibility for how I'm showing up in the world. So I think first and foremost, it's shifting the narrative. Like, no, boys don't be boys. Mm -hmm. There's like a short hop, skip, and a jump from there to she was asking for it. Right. So if we want to see that culture change, we need to start having a higher view of men. Actually, guys, 
I think that you actually are created in God's image and you actually can take ownership for how you're showing up. You can take ownership for where you put your eyes or where you don't put your eyes. And it's not a woman's fault if you sin. Yeah. And I think it starts from top down. I think mm-hmm. it's changing the messaging. I think it's making sharing a vision of sex and sexuality and relationship outside of just rules. Because mm. you and I were given the rules. Yep. Just don't have sex. Mm-hmm. But like when I was doing my research, I was like, why are we talking about the history of like the Hebrew marriage and Genesis 2 and the amazing historical context of what it meant to leave your home Mm -hmm. and to leave and cleave. Instead, we used rules to control that produced shame. That didn't work because the Jesus way is relationship. So how do we change it? We start by being in relationship with one another and holding each other high and seeking God. You know, a lot of my listeners are parents. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're saying this, I'm like, yeah, and I think, how am I as a mom Mm teaching my boys and my daughter this message, Mm -hmm. you know, and how are Aaron and I's parents modeling for them Mm -hmm. what that respect and a high regard for each other looks like. And so Mm -hmm. I think just to encourage the listeners, you might be thinking like, I'm not dating, you know, this is not my story anymore. But if you're parenting, if you have nieces and nephews, if you're a teacher, if you are around children, Mm -hmm. you have the opportunity to kind of model what you're talking about Mm -hmm. to them. And I think that is where it also, we see a change as well as when we see another generation seeing things a little bit different Mm -hmm. than maybe you and I saw them. Yeah, absolutely. I think any story that starts and ends with shame, I can know right off the bat that that is not God's heart for me. Mm. Because Second Timothy says, God didn't give me a spirit of fear, Mm -hmm. but a power love and a sound mind. So I think even if you're a parent, how do I talk with my kids about sex? I think the first thing is we remove the shame from the conversation. Again, God created us in his image and his likeness. So that means my sexuality isn't who I am, but it's a part of who Mm -hmm. I am. It's the most normal human experience to feel turned on and have sexual desire. So what if we normalized that? What if as parents, we got over our own awkwardness and insecurities about talking about sex? I think it starts by normalizing the conversation, by having conversations like you and I, where Mm -hmm. we're able to have frank conversations about what is sex. I think the more we can normalize that conversation and have healthy dialogue, Mm -hmm. I think that's what when freedom happens, right? Is when we bring the dark to light. The shame can't live in the light. I remember I was telling, having this conversation with someone about sex. And like I already said, I was 16 the first time Mm -hmm. I had sex and continued to be sexually active until I started following Jesus. But I remember thinking like, man, I have four kids Mm -hmm. and how I want to react if one of them comes to me. And Mm -hmm. says that they had sex. Because to me growing up, like I already mentioned, I felt like in the church culture that I was in, that that was the worst thing I could ever do. Mm -hmm. That and drink, Mm -hmm. alcohol, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was doing both of those really well for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just sometimes think about that. And I think, man, I want to have a posture towards my kids that if they come and say, man, I made a mistake, I'd be like, okay, Mm -hmm. all right, what are we going to do now? It's okay. We're going to ask God to forgive us. And when you ask him... He does. He Mm -hmm. looks at you and says, you are forgiven and you Mm -hmm. are clean. And then we're going to keep walking forward. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want it to be the worst thing my kids could ever do. Yeah. Because that's just like, that's not the worst. You know what? It would be worse for my kid to be the most like greedy, self-centered, jealous businessman. I don't want that for my child, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think also the church has to do a good job of saying, hey, if we're just going to teach, you know, sexual purity is this, but we're going to forego everything else that God asked about our character. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that's not good teaching. No, no. It kind of goes back to what I said earlier. We use the label of Christianity as a sticker mm-hmm. to cover a multitude of crap, you <laughs> yeah. know? Well, yeah, maybe I, at least I'm not having sex, but uh-huh. I'm a jerk. Uh-huh. I have an ego. I'm yeah. prideful. Mm-hmm. I'm legalistic. Yeah. And I feel like that was me for a long time. Yeah. I wasn't having sex, but I was judging everyone Everybody. else. Yeah. I had the salvation whistle. Uh-huh. You know, I could tell, oh, I know someone's eternity because of what they did or didn't do with their boyfriend. Yeah. That's pride. That's mm-hmm. ego. That's judgment. Yeah. I put myself in the judgment seat. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, I, I'm from a big family. I have four younger sisters. And I've even asked myself of, wow, okay, so how can I have healthy conversations about sex with my sisters in high school? Yeah. And really, I think the space I want to live in is to teach my younger sisters and my kids to have tools to seek God mm. and navigate hard conversations with them and trust. Like, oh, it's easier for me to say, just don't do this. It's harder to sit with someone, build a relationship and seek God and then give them the tools of here's how you search the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Here's how we learn how to hear the voice of God. Yeah. You know, because God cares about our hearts. Because that's when it became real for you. That's when it became real for me, yeah. Is when you had the tools mm-hmm. and you went and felt that's my favorite thing that we've talked about too because I think that's so important is like what you're just saying now is because not much changed, I mean really from, you know, 21-year-old cat to 35, you still have some of the same boundaries, I'm assuming. Yeah, but I have clear... But that's what I'm saying. But what changed is your why. Yeah. Would you say? I mean... My why changed. And also, I think the shame left. So I believe my body's bad. My sexual desire is gross. I'm a compartmentalized human. And I'm basically a robot until I get married. And then I'm like, lady in the streets, freaking the bed. (laughs) Like that happens overnight. Yeah. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, wow, it's my job to keep men pure. And then couple that with a terrible eating disorder that I had when I was 21. I mean, it was just, I just felt shame, 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 shame. And then because I had no why... I would not think about before I went on a date or before I went out dancing, what do I or do I not want to happen tonight? Yeah. If I meet a guy, let's say I meet a guy, uh, do I want to kiss him? Mm-hmm. Do I not? Why or why not? And as opposed to, I would get in a lot of situations that I would be like, oops, wasn't planning on doing <laughs> yeah. that. Because I thought even allowing myself to think about, oh, well, what if he asked me to come home with him? What will I say? Yeah. If I do go back to his apartment with him, what's my boundary? What's my hard boundary? Yeah. And because I wasn't confident in that, I was insecure. I thought it was even sinful to be thinking about those things. I could not give informed consent. And then I was also very confused with what I did and didn't want. And so I also took a lot of guys on a roller coaster of a ride of, no, I don't want to do that. But my no doesn't really mean no. It kind of means yes. Like Mm -hmm. if you push the boundaries a little bit. And so I think the biggest gift that this process has given me is clarity and resolve to know, wow, okay, I know before I go on that date with that guy from the gym tonight, I don't want to kiss or do anything physical. Mm -hmm. And so then I can either communicate that or just know that that's my boundary. And that has given me, oh my gosh. So much freedom. Yeah. I think everyone have that freedom to be able to show up in confidence with any interaction romantically that they have. As I'm sitting here listening, I'm thinking, like, I want that for my kids. Mm-hmm. Is I want them. I mean, I even like reading your book, I felt like, man, I still have some like of this baggage mm-hmm. of just growing up in purity culture, mm-hmm. even though I don't actually have to deal with it that much because I've been married for 20 years, mm-hmm. you know? And so it feels like it's easier for me to not have to think about it. Yeah. But when I think about my kids, and I'm like, man, of course I want my kids to be pure. Like, of course I want them to flee from sexual morality. But if I'm honest, 
I have to fight not just wanting them to do that just because that's the right thing. It's that legalism. It's that legalism. There it is. It comes yeah. up, you know. But when you're talking, I'm like, I want my kids to know why, mm-hmm. you know, and I want them to want it for themselves, mm-hmm. not to make their parents happy, mm-hmm. not to make the church happy, not to make a friend or a girlfriend or boyfriend happy. Mm-hmm. Like I want them to have ownership over their sexuality. Yeah. And so thank yeah. you. And that's consent. We're in the fallout of Me Too, of Church Too, and I think one of the biggest action steps men and women can take is how do we show up and communicate informed and enthusiastic consent? Part of that starts with me knowing my why. And I always think of Simon Sinek. I'm like, Simon Sinek did my relationship with God and my relationship with sex such a service. So he talks about in his big famous TED Talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. He says, everyone knows what they do. Some people know how they do it. Very few people know why they do it. But it's the people who know their why that have the most compelling, life-changing businesses. He says, Martin Luther King didn't say, I have a plan. He said, Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. And so everyone, when they come to me, they want to know, so can I touch his butt? Can I have sleepovers? Is oral sex sex? Is masturbation a sin? And I'm like, we're starting at the wrong place. Mm. You're starting at the what? We can't really get to the what until we first ask, how did I get here? What are my current beliefs about my body, God, sex? Where did those beliefs come from? Take it another layer. What are they rooted in? They're rooted in shame, fear, or freedom. All right, if they are, how do we rebuild that? Mm -hmm. What's God's vision? What does science say? What does research say? What does my own personal experience say? And then we go to the what. I think we all want to start at the what, and I just feel like that's not working for us. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for us in business, and it doesn't work for us relationally. It has to be inside out, but that seems to be the Jesus way, Mm. that Jesus cares about the inside first. Mm -hmm. He's not like, well, behavior modify and fake Mm -hmm. it until you make it. And sometimes, yeah, I'm going to read my Bible even when I don't want to because it's a good pattern, you know? But God cares about our hearts. So how can we teach people and give ourselves the space to seek God? And connect with God from our heart, from the inside out. Kat, so good. Your book comes out uh, actually next week. Congratulations. Thank you. I know that's been... Ah. Are you nervous about your words being out into the world? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, my mom was sitting next to me on the couch last week reading one of my advanced copies, and she was like, why did you say that? And I was like, oh, my God. I don't know, but I can't take it back now. It's too late. It's too late. Not helpful. I know. Um, Yeah, I think the biggest thing that weighed on my heart through this whole process was even just thinking back to purity culture and books that I read that probably had really good intentions Mm. that created tidal waves of destruction, Mm -hmm. like the true love weights, all that stuff. And even just seeing, you know, a guy like Joshua Harris now, decades after Ica stating goodbye, which I believe he was used as a pawn in the purity movement, but he's so ashamed of that. But he had no idea when he was 21 years old when he wrote a book about dating how much damage that work would have done. And so I have so much empathy mm-hmm. for him and the pain that that has caused him personally. Yeah. And I just, my constant prayer has been like, God, like, I don't want to add shame to the conversation. Mm-hmm. I do not want to add shame to the conversation. And so that's been my fear in it coming out. And my biggest insecurity is like, God, is there anything I'm doing that's not rooted in truth, not rooted in grace, and that's going to point people towards shame? Like, God, please just take those words out, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's the thing that like has kept me up at night about this book. Mm. 
Well, it's too late to take words out. (laughs) (laughs) But it is not too late to really just say those things of like, God, use this Mm -hmm. um, in ways only that you could use. Thank you for your honesty in the book. Yeah. And it was probably one of the like most honest books I've read in a really long time. And I appreciated that. Oh, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Um, Okay, Kat, what are you reading these days and what are you loving? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm reading a couple books. I'm always reading a couple books. I love it. I just started Life of Pi. Okay. Have you read it? I think I read it forever ago. Maybe even in school. Yeah. But then I saw the movie. I remember the movie way more than the book. I haven't seen the movie, but it's one of those books that I've had for a long time. And I read a lot of like deep, deep, petty stuff Mm -hmm. for work stuff and book stuff. And so at night, I just need something to like... You know, just chill and zone out or whatever. Help me fall asleep. Yeah. So I just started that. Okay. It's really good. I'm reading Barack Obama's biography. <laughs> I'm listening to it. It's a big book. It's huge. It's like 600 pages. Oh, listening to it is 10, almost like 32 hours. Whoa. I think I have 12 more hours left of this book. Oh my gosh. Wow. So I kind of just listened to it in the car. I mean, yeah. I live 10 minutes from the office. So do the math. Yeah. How long does it take me to finish that years. book? Exactly. But it's really good. Yeah. So I read Michelle's book coming a couple years ago and... I love her. Mm -hmm. And I just had no idea. I mean, you see, oh, she's the first wife. You know, I had no idea. She's this powerhouse. Uh She was his boss. Yes. Yeah. She was his Uh boss. Oh, my gosh. I just, that was amazing. And just how well I thought she just balanced being a working woman, a wife, and a mom. And she took the platform so Mm -hmm. seriously. And I just, I think, I just want to be her best friend. Uh Um, So, yeah, reading Brock's book. And then I'm reading The Making of Biblical womanhood by beth allison barr okay have you heard of that no. one okay so she is a historian uh, has her phd she's also a professor at wake at waco <laughs> <laughs> go bears <laughs> Baylor. she's a professor at chip and Joe. <laughs> but it's all about the history of patriarchy and christianity and one of the things that really has stood out to me about her book is basically my friend gave it to me and she said, there's a lot of history books written by pastors who aren't historians mm. or a lot of history books written by theologians, but there's not a lot of theology books written by historians. Mm. So she kind of unpacks the gender roles in the church and why they've been this way and what exactly, what were we talking about when we were talking about patriarchy and how we've seen it in the church. And I feel like for me, for a long time, I was like, ah, oh, feminism's a cuss word and patriarchy just seems like, I don't know, it just felt really threatening to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to learn yeah. a lot about why have I believed what I've believed about womanhood, about manhood. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to read books from every sort of angle of that conversation. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, um, thank you so much yeah. for your work. I'm glad you came back on three years later. Three years later. Which Three years crazy. from now, I'll be married and have a kid. I'm claiming it. Are you naming it and claiming it? <laughs> naming it and claiming it. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, Kat, thank you. Thank you. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want more information, be sure and follow Kat over on Instagram. I have linked all of her social medias over on our webpage. You can go to jamieivy.com slash hh382. 
And in fact, next month, we're planning a special episode that we need your feedback for. Go to jamieivy.com slash HH382 and fill out a quick survey about when, why, and what you connected with the happy hour. We cannot wait to hear from you. Friends, next Wednesday, my guest is Lauren Chandler. Lauren also is a very oldie but goodie guest. She was here forever ago, and it was really encouraging to sit down and talk with her, especially about sometimes how we walk through wilderness seasons and how God meets us there. You're going to love my conversation with Lauren Chandler next week. Friends, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for listening every single week. In fact, the number one way that people find out about the happy hour, guess what? It's when you tell them about it. And so if you love the show, we would love it if you shared it with your friends. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper. Show notes were written by Abby Castell, music by Matt Graham, the whole thing put together by Lindsay Sweeney, and I'm your host, Jamie Ivey. Guys, have a happy hour with a friend. Share this episode with someone that you think would appreciate this, and I will see you guys back here next Wednesday with my friend, Lauren Chandler. <laughs>